Today's episode contains stories about mental illness and suicidal ideation. Take care while listening. Hey, are you there? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? Um, can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Hello? 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 Hey. Previously on Redeemed. I had a brand new newborn daughter at home. Um, and then my wife was in a, a psych ward for, for extended time. I remember the day that Rob decided to take me into the ER. And he says this is one of the worst days of his life. Genevieve, my daughter, had never taken a bottle. And we were about to go into this and I remember saying to him, take her to the birthing center. Like I still had like some presence of mind. My body just couldn't do any anything. Everything was coming apart. Therapists explain it to me as a bipolar patient is uh, manic. It's like you're watching, trying to watch TV and somebody's just flipping through the stations, not stopping at one, just click, 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 click. He's so calm and peaceful and nurturing. He reminded me of like what Jesus was like. So he came in down and he was talking with me and I was shackled to the gurney, to the hospital bed. And he was like, I am so sorry that this is happening to you, that you have to go through this. And he like covered my, covered my handcuff, basically. Just crying out to God to like, help me. And uh, I heard outside, somebody mowing their lawn. And I heard a chainsaw going. I looked up and uh, just some guys from my church who knew my lawn is cut long. And so they came over and started doing it. They started mowing the lawn. And I was like, okay, God. Christy Burke had three major bipolar episodes from the age of 15 until the birth of her daughter in 2005. Each episode landed her in the hospital for various amounts of time, but the last one kept her locked inside of herself for over a year. Her husband, Rob, had never seen his wife experience what is called cycling. When a person with bipolar disorder experiences extreme mood fluctuations and delusions, consisting of depression, mania, or hypomania. During the first year of her daughter's life, Christy was unable to care fully for her newborn. She couldn't even connect with the people or the reality around her. She describes all of this time as a deep darkness. But in reality, her story is one of deep hope. So many people struggle with mental illnesses. In fact, one in five in the U.S. report to struggle with it. But throughout Christie's story, God showed himself to be present even in this darkness. He showed himself to be bigger than the control of bipolar and able and wanting to restore what was lost on the way. I was just saying, 
God, please help me to be who I was. I just want to be myself. My husband was sick of me saying, I want to be normal. But God didn't want me to be the old Christy. He wanted me to be something new. Uh, you know, I stood in front of friends, family, God Almighty, and uh, I, I said, yeah, sickness or in hell. And yeah, we definitely went through the sickness. I never thought about giving up. I don't know, I, I'm not special, but I never really thought about it. And honestly, there's one thing that I'm proud of. I never missed a visiting hour. I, I went every time. There are times where she wouldn't see me and she refused me entry. Those times I, I stopped and I said, that, that's not Christy, that's the illness. There was a great nurse at the hospital that really carried me through on some of that stuff. And he would pull me aside and he'd say, it's not her. It's the illness, and I was able to really differentiate, and I've never blamed her for it. I never, like, harbored ill will towards her when she was going through a rough time. Again, it wasn't her when she told me that she wanted to divorce me. Okay, it was at the height of her, her mania, and she told me that she wanted to divorce me. I'm like, what? Then she's like, hey, I met somebody in here. We're going to get married. And so I said, who? And she's like, uh, that guy over there. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's how it goes. And so at, at that time, I was like, okay, that's definitely not my wife. That's the illness. There are things that other people tell me that I did that I do not recall. So yes, it is like that, like that you don't, you don't have control. You may act like a completely different person. When I was in the hospital, when Genevieve, I think she was four months old, I was meeting with my husband who came to see me every visiting time. I was like, I'm divorcing you and I'm marrying that guy over there like another mental patient. <laughs> it's funny, but that is not something that I would do. Also, another funny thing that he says I said was, I can sell that plant over there for $300. Like weird things. So <laughs> that's, yeah, that was one of the fun stories. Carrying me through, <laughs> walking out like, ah, I'm getting divorced, uh, I wasn't going to give up. And again, I was able to separate my wife from the illness. Again, we were like eight years into our marriage. Known her for 10 years. I was smitten for all those 10 years. So I, we had that foundation um, going into the rough times that I wasn't going to give up those wonderful years. We've been married now for 23 years. We had like one horrible year. That's pretty good. If that was a banding average, I'd be Hall of Famer, you know? When I was younger, I felt... This is Christy's little sister, Beth. Yeah, with my family, like with growing up when my mom was maybe going through her hard times with mental illness, like just feeling um, cared for and loved when there was that uncertainty. And I like to think of those times as like hugs from God, you know, because we all long for this tangibility experience with the Lord. And I think he moves in that way and also uses others to be that, be the hands and feet, you know, of Jesus. And so there have definitely been moments along the way that I felt cared for and loved and really appreciated how people showed up in that way. And it was God showing up for us, you know, to feel comfort during that confusing time. It's funny to think about this now, but my, I grew up with my husband and we were good friends all along. And there was a moment where I was going to visit my sister in the hospital, the psychiatric hospital. And he came with me. So dorky. You don't have to put this in the podcast. But the lights turned on automatically when you walk down the hall. 
like, I don't think Mike saw her when we went. I think I went in by myself. But, like, it was, like, there was this humor in the midst of this, like, time. We were in a psychiatric hospital. But the lights, like, came on as we walked down together. And it was, like, it could, it was just one of those moments where you're, like, this is wild. And, like, somehow I'm still enjoying life in the midst of it, you know. And we have that funny memory to look back on. But. I think humor, you can probably see it if you talk to dad and Christy, just like there is humor is so helpful. And my grandma instilled that in on us too. And just in my dad's side of the family and she would go through hard times, but just having that humor, oh my gosh, thank you Lord for laughter and like levity. Rob was able to separate Christy from her disease, even when she couldn't. And talking to them all now, Their laughter is contagious, but just like the rainbow comes after the storm, their storm got really dark before the laughter came back. Christy was in and out of the hospital for months after the birth of their child, a girl, Genevieve. Now with a newborn at home, her husband working extra to provide, Christy had unraveled from the inside out. She had crashed. But one day I remember I was here in our house with Genevieve. I was supposed to be watching her and they had, my loved ones thought I was okay. And the thing is, is I wasn't really in the middle of it. I was not able to verbalize what was happening. They thought I was okay, but I remember one day, like they have no idea what is going on because I can't tell them. So there was a moment I had a full bottle of lithium I took the entire bottle, and then right away, I called my dad. That is a cry for help. That's not, but in that, like, I think, I'm like, God would never want me to do that. But that was the option that I took. And then he contacted, my dad lives in Lansing. He can, an hour and 10 minutes away. And he contacted Rob, and Rob came home, grabbed Genevieve. We went to the hospital. I was on dialysis three times and went through that. I remember my good friend, Kristen York, coming and getting Genevieve in her little carrier. I remember certain things. None of the medications the doctors were prescribing were working. She says she's unable to remember much from this season of her life, which makes her really sad. But... She remembers snippets from her stories, and she believes that's so that she can tell her story. Finally, a doctor suggested doing ECT, or electroconvulsive shock therapy. Here's Dr. Grace Pratt to explain further. Electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, is another treatment option that uses electrical pulses to stimulate areas of the brain to improve depression and other mood disorders. You may think of this as like shock therapy, but it's really not like what you see in the movies. Typically, there's sedation involved. It is all um, designed to be comfortable for the patient, and that's used in times when You know, regular medications or the first few things that they've tried just aren't helping. And at that point, it's worth it for most people who get to that point to try treatments that maybe seemed a little scary at first because of the impact on their life overall. I was in and out of the hospital. No medications were working. And so they had to transfer me. I remember this to a different hospital 
in the metro Detroit area that did electroconvulsive shock therapy, ECT. And so I remember riding in the ambulance. I, some of this I think I remember so I can tell the story because I don't remember other things. But after the first treatment and they don't know why it works, they still don't know why it works. It sounds archaic, but that's the only thing that helped. And my husband said, I see a glimpse of my wife. I can't imagine how that felt for him. She wasn't reacting to medicine. And so they kept on inching up her antidepressives, hoping just to take the edge off and let her start coming back. And it never did. The doctors pulled me aside and said, have you ever heard of ECT? And they're like, oh, well, it's electroconvulsive therapy. I was like, wait, no, shock treatment? No, no. You know, they explained that for patients that are not really reacting to increased levels of antidepressants, this is a way to go. And they found out about this therapy by accident. The doctor said he doesn't, they don't know how it works or why it works. Somebody who was dealing with depression had also uh, would have seizures. And they realized that this person would come out of the depression after a seizure, uh, like reboot of the brain. And all of a sudden, like somebody who was in depression, seizure, feeling great now. So they figured out how to induce a seizure. I was super hesitant to go along with it. And then I realized that everything I knew about uh, electroconvulsive therapy, I learned through Hollywood. And so like, we started looking into it and it was it's really um, very successful. They've been doing it for lots of years. Um, it's not scary like the movies. When she would go in, they would give her muscle relaxers. It's like she'd go into like a sleep or twilight sleep or whatever. And then they do it. They showed a video where not of Christy, but they showed a video. And the only body movement was like, there was a toe that was like a, there was the only movement. So she's not flailing about like Hollywood shows. And so they started doing these treatments. And I think she was doing like once a day at the very beginning, like every other, like every day, boom, just get it. And then they started weaning off to like every other day and every third day. And then once a week, um, and once they started going once a week, Christy came home, she was feeling great. I proceeded to have several treatments, I believe over the next couple weeks inpatient. And then I was good enough to go home, they thought. Now, one thing that would happen like later when I, when I would, we had a one friend's house that we would drop Genevieve off at five in the morning to go and do the treatments because they do all those treatments super early in the morning. So when I was outpatient, <laughs> this is a funny part and we need a funny part. I guess Christy's sister was right about levity. Because I was like Dory from Finding Nemo. It affects your short-term memory. So I'd be like, where's Genevieve? Where are we going? What time is it? Where, like, I would not know what was going on. So it was, was one of of the uh, side effects of CECT is it destroys your short-term memory. Just gone, gone. And I can laugh about this now, but one day Christy came out of the kitchen with a butter dish. She's like, "Why, why do I have this? Like she went in, like, you know, we all joke is like, you go into a room, like, why am I in here? She went into the room, got what she needed, and then forgot why she needed it. It was a side effect of the ECP. So it was kind of fun. And it was fun to laugh at it because she was coming out and my wife was coming back at that time. We had hope at that time. Like, okay, here she comes. So yeah, the, the ECT, um, don't let anyone tell you it's horrible. 
<laughs> this part cuts off here, but Rob says the ECT saved his wife's life. And it did. It brought her back. In her writing on this season, Christy describes her experience as one who is drowning, but bursting through the surface. While her mind was reset by ECT, her heart and spirit still had a long road to recovery. She had to learn to do what Rob already knew how to do, to separate Christy from her disease. But God is always faithful. And over time, he began to restore the things that had been stripped away from her in the darkness. Now, I want to take a minute here and share something Christy told me. Initially, Christy tried to go back to work, but it ended up being too much. She felt like she had missed so much with her daughter that she really just wanted to be home with her. Remember how she said a lot of that year was a blur? That she only remembered snippets? And remember how Rob showed up for every single visiting hour? Well, eventually he was able to take their baby with him. And though Christy couldn't be physically present with her new baby, God made it so that she didn't miss out on any of her milestones. My daughter rolled over for the first time when she was four months, when she was brought up to see me. So I was able to see that her first steps were right there. That is so crazy to me. So I didn't miss those things. First year of a, a baby's life is, is like a lot of milestones. So the big ones Genevieve did at the psych ward. There were days where there's like, hey, Christy really needs to see Genevieve. Can you bring her? Well, yeah, I'm going to. Mom wants to see the daughter. That's awesome. And I don't have to figure out babysitting. Yeah. And so first time Genevieve rolled over was a, a private like meeting room at the psych ward Jeremy's first steps <laughs> again at another psych ward at a different hospital huge huge milestones that God like provided so Chrissy didn't miss out on them those I was like okay I see God there it was huge I kind of worried that like she was going to miss that stuff and I, I won't lie to you, a, a thought went to mind that like if Jeremy started walking and shove her down until I could, but I didn't have to. Uh, <laughs> God provided that. But through the whole thing, I was never alone. I was always there. Sometimes more visible than others. Sometimes I didn't realize he was there until like after the situation. Looking back, it's like, holy smokes. But the recovery for me was very, very slow mentally. I started to get involved at church. I worked at the church. I uh, headed up women's ministry during this time. I, I would be like, should I do this ministry? And my husband would be like, yes, do whatever, which, which made it like this huge, busy thing, which was good, but at the same time, I had a misconception that people in ministry had to be perfect. That's what I had seen. And so I didn't say anything. Now my church, all of my shame or all of all of this mental illness was right in front of everyone. I would come to church and during that void time, I was it was like I was just watching. It was a watching and it was black and white. 
Like it was a black and white movie, like the life, like when I was sick and people saw that. They saw that. During that time also, like with Genevieve, there are pictures of me holding her, but I wasn't, didn't really, I, there's no way I could nurture her, but I did change her diapers. I did do those things. I dealt with a number of things afterward, like, cause my husband raised her with help, but he raised her, he made her baby food. And I had so much guilt among so many other things that happened that I maybe potentially hurt her as a baby, like that she would have attachment issues. The thing is, is she was so surrounded by love and care and my husband that was able to do all of those things because of who he is and God providing for her. But I had all those, the enemy had field day with so many things. So I was doing ministry, but there was brokenness and shame. And at one point I went back to try to go to work and I couldn't. And that was a source of huge shame that I carried with me that was on top of all of this other shame and stigma about mental illness. Cause I didn't walk around telling people because I'm not gonna do that, it's not. But at the same time, it's like, that's who I am. Even though I'm not, I'm asymptomatic. Like I don't have those things. My friend invited me to join a Bible study in the middle of the day because that's what stay-at-home moms do. They had daycare or for the kids and these lovely people were so excited to take her every week. And I just remember like every little part about that because when my stress was taken away, I started to be able to be a mom. And a year into this point, um, my sister-in-law said, Christy, you, you can apply for disability. This is totally because of what is happening and in the point that you're at. And I was like, that just feels like I shouldn't do something like that. That seems like something that someone else would do. And so we applied and I was able to stay at home and recover because my recovery, I remember it might've been Beth Moore, I don't know who it was, saying God works in power and process. And he worked in process with me. I did many magic wand prayers. God, please take this completely from me. Please take this from me. I don't wanna be dealing with this depression. I don't wanna be dealing with this anxiety, but it was process. So I went on disability and I did stay at home mom stuff. I, all my friends, cause I tell you what it was like, like we, at one point we started our preschool in my basement and my husband, he had just finished our basement to be a man cave. And I turned it into the location of the preschool. Genevieve was two and a half and all the kids were around that age, but it was all these moms that were teachers <laughs> and then they're stay at home. So we had this, <laughs> Rockstar preschool, we used homeschool curriculum and they had snack and they had, oh my goodness, it was, and one of the, one of the people was an artist and now she's like a renowned national photographer, but she was like, I'm not a teacher. I can't do this. We're like, you can do the craft, <laughs> but she's like an amazing artist. Years later, he began to stir up the painful lies that had embedded themselves in Christie's heart. She saw a counselor who helped her confront the lies, those that were telling her she was incompetent, she was not enough, that she was mentally ill. 
She tried to memorize scripture, but felt nothing, no release. She was referred to a new counselor who was part of a parachurch organization. And so I went to see um, another counselor, and she was also a head of a parachurch organization that did like anger management stuff dealt with in a Christian way. Anger, anxiety, and fear, like different groups like that. But I had called her because I was, I was feeling all of this was coming up. And we know that before a big healing, the enemy is going to throw everything at you that he possibly can. So I called her. I was like, can I see you today? And she's like, well, we have a weekend, a retreat. There's a spot open and you can come to. And that was tremendous because I could just be who I was. I couldn't talk about some of the, a lot of the things that I wanted to. It was an experiential healing retreat. It's raw. It was raw. It's not like, okay, we're going to sit here and, <laughs> and just be good. It's like you're hearing things from women that I, I was like, oh my gosh, I had the best upbringing. Because some of the things are amazing that people are even standing. But you could see women healing in front of your eyes because they were sharing their story. And they were not being judged. I, I literally, if I wouldn't have been on that weekend, I think I might have ended up in the psych ward again because everything was just starting to come up. So I got involved with the organization. I would come to the meetings, like completely no makeup, like not my normal thing that I would do when I would lead, lead my Bible studies, you know. But I was super confused at this one thing. The leader who was leading about anxiety and fear in the group said, I still struggle with anxiety. I was super confused for weeks. Why is this person who is the leader of this group saying that it's okay? And not saying, Are you, have you prayed about it? They're not saying that. They're not saying that. She's not saying that. And I could be free. So it was a kind of a separate place for me to be. My church is wonderful, but it was like I needed a spot to be free and to be listened to. So all of my hurt and my pain and my shame was being addressed. When Genevieve was in second grade, she volunteered in her classroom, and the teacher was so impressed by her that she encouraged her to go back to being a teacher full-time. She ended up landing an interview at a local Christian school. The first question they asked, what is the role of suffering in a Christian's life? And I was like, oh, if you only knew, I'm not really going to answer. But I was able to quote, I was in a First Peter Bible study, so I was able to quote the First um, Peter 5.10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I was like, and that's essentially what happened. Um, the point that I was at when I was hired, the enemy was having a feel that you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to teach sixth graders. You don't know anything. You don't know what you're doing. You, How are you going to do this? Through just the amazing mentoring that I had and that year of, okay, I can do this. 
I proceeded to walk through. There was one point. Okay, so my Sonia Windish, the vice principal, she is the spiritual gift of discernment. And she could like tell me things that I didn't tell anyone and that I wasn't even talking about. And I was like, wait, did I say that to you? Because I didn't even say that to my husband. I don't even know. So I ended up sharing with her my story, which I kind of felt like, gosh, am I like, do they feel like I'm being dishonest because I didn't say it? But she didn't judge me in any way. One day I was in the office with she and my principal and she kind of looked at me and she was like, with her look, she was like, I need you to talk to him. And it was because, not because I needed to share it for me, but it was for him for a reason. And so I shared the story of my bipolar and he said, you have blessed me and encouraged me so much. Thank you for sharing. And for him to say that to me was healing in that moment because I was, I was known. In every interview that I do for Redeemed, I ask people how they have seen the gospel story reflected in their own story. With Rob and Christy and their family, it is a bright thread woven throughout. From their upbringing in the Lord to how each of them clung to Him in their darkest times. But their story hits on another common theme that I've found in most stories of suffering. The people on the periphery. Had the church not come alongside their family while Christy was sick? Had those college girls not invited her to come and live with them? Had Christy's sister never leaned in and tried to get her sister out of bed, the restoration that has come full circle would not have happened. God works in power, in process, and in people. I was actually broken down to nothing in all the episodes, but it was very clear. Like I was humbled to whatever I was, I still had, but I felt like a shell of a human being. And then I see the gospel, God's story in the restoration process, which I will be in until I see him face to face. Therein lies the redemption. But it's also a story of the gospel because of the people that came around us and that supported us and that gave meals and did so many things that I don't even know about. So that's the gospel right there is the people coming and giving of themselves when, like I said, all I had to offer was void. There was nothing. I was not giving anything to the conversation. I was, it was awkward to be around me, I'm sure, because all I was thinking is how can I get to my bed and go to sleep? That too, like Rob, like him, he had to die. He he had, this is not what he signed up for. And I know there were moments where that was a reality for him, but he just had to keep, he kind of had to keep his eyes straight. But at the same time, it's like, how can you continue? So there was redemption all around. The doctor who I had a relationship with, like, how many guys have like friendly terms with their, their wife's OBGYN? But he was there, you know? And, and then while my worst days were, were like, I was just like crumbling and losing it. Boom, people there. There was a, a assistant principal at the school I taught at. 
who was at, at my church also, there were days where I was just exhausted. And I'd go into his office and he'd look at me. He's like, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I don't know. He's like, yeah, I know. Just hearing him say, yeah, I know, was encouraging because, yes, he did. I don't think anyone else really knew, but he knew. He just went through it the year before. So anytime I know that, like, if somebody, like, has gone through something, if they can come alongside and say, I'm here for you, I understand. I know in my heart what you're going through. Because I went through it, too. I mean, that's that's huge. The community of believers just coming in and just, like, pushing in, not letting me do it all alone. I'm going to switch gears now because we can't walk away from this story without a discussion about mental illness. I have, like so many others, battled clinical depression and anxiety for the majority of my life. I've also been a follower of Jesus for that same amount of time. I began medication as a teenager and found great relief. And after the births of each of my children, I had various degrees of postpartum depression, which led to more medication, and counseling, and doctor's visits. And there's this stigma around mental health, because mental illness is like that. No one can fully understand this thing that paralyzes you, that keeps you in bed, that makes you feel like you're fighting a war against your own mind, unless you've lived under its tyranny. Brave men and women like Christy who share their stories make it easier for people like myself to say yes, me too. My mental illness is caused by imbalances in hormones in my body. It is a physical illness. Christy's is a physical illness. It needs treatment just like someone with a heart condition or diabetes. And yes, of course, there are other elements to wellness in mental health. But we can't overlook the simple fact of it being connected to the whole of our bodies, not something we can just shake off. As Christians, we must see how this fits within the whole of the story of fall and redemption. I remember days when my illness was consuming me, so much so that I felt like I was walking around with a soaking wet blanket over my head or wading through knee-deep water. I couldn't function or think of anything but getting back to my bed, the one place I felt peace. For many, this condition can make God seem untouchable, a connection with him unattainable. But God is not absent from the person with mental illness. And I think maybe the most powerful part of this story is what Christy said here. Do you think that God created you this way? Uh, do you mean like with, with, bi- with bipolar? Yes, I do believe that. I do believe that he created me uh, that way. I guess if I didn't think that, then I would be rejecting him, like in a way. Um, but for me, it is... Um, I think my psychiatrist said there's like a 30% chance of passing it on, which I've had to deal a little bit with that with my daughter, like thinking about that. I cannot go there and I rebuke that. (laughs) Um, But it's 
part of who it's part of who I am and it's it was hard but yes I think he he did create me this way I don't think that this is um a punishment I do believe that it has to do with the fall like we're all this is part of sin this is not how God didn't design us to say lies and be compete completely detached from reality um but at the same time he was there in it he was there through it and it like thinking of the purpose of it is there are a lot of people who may not be bipolar but who have depression and so many and with covid now you just hear uh, terrible things that have happened with people being disconnected and going through it and so it's a normal part of life it's not where you want to be um but it is something where people land some people like when you say you'll be like oh that person's bipolar and what they mean is like this person is different one day to the next and so that's not how i am i really love in this story how everyone around christy presses in rather than runs away it's so evident where God was in this whole thing. God was there through the people. And so I want to talk directly to the caregivers in just a minute. But with Christy's help, I want to also take a minute to have a family meeting of sorts to offer some loving education to the church as a whole so that we can better help those suffering from mental illness. If you have never walked this road, it can be so easy to question the truth of what someone is feeling or dealing with. It's easy to be like Job's friends in scripture, telling him he needs to repent or pray more. As with Christie, this was simply not the case. While again, there may be spiritual things at play. Remember that the physical illness affecting the person may be making them incapable of understanding where God is in this moment. And so I'm asking you to be mindful of your words. Don't write somebody off just because you don't understand. Believe them first, then try to understand to the best of your ability. I talk a lot about pitching your tent in the valley next to those who suffer. Not because I want everyone to wallow in sadness, but because just like in Christie's story, the people who are most helpful who are most like Jesus, are those who lean in and sit down in the mud with the broken. Not those who try to fix, not those who try to point out flaws, but those who set up camp and invite them in. Like, yeah. I'm like, do you even know that I'm in the room and you're talking about this right now? Yeah. Do you think I've not prayed? Are you joking right now? Yeah. <laughs> I've... Yeah. Uh, I've I don't have enough faith. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> okay, so some hope for those of you who are on the outside, you're trying to lean in and you're just not sure how. I asked Christy's dad and her sister to speak to this a little bit. And so I'm going to play some clips from their answers. And I want you to know that you are seen, that you really are in a hard place. You have been called to be a helper in this time. And in the Bible, this word, azer, means one who provides what is lacking for the battle. 
And that is just not an easy job. It's not easy to walk alongside someone who is so internally focused and oblivious to reality. And it's really not easy to set healthy boundaries, to be cautious of enabling and trying to fix while still keeping yourself healthy. And part of what they share is that you need to seek help for yourself and for your loved one. That you need to remind yourself daily of what is true, specifically that it is not your job, nor is it in your power to save this person. I'm going to repeat that. It's not your job and it's not in your power to save this person. All you can do is be the face of Jesus in a dark, dark place. You can sit beside them as best as you can and love them through it. One of my major questions I have for God in this, um, one thing I guess I do know is that in heaven, which is like our eternal home, which is so beautiful to remember, um, these things aren't happening. So I do feel like how we how we are on this earth, you know, it's just trying to make more sense of God, but also understanding why things aren't perfect here. But when I think about, you know, there were some moments where, you know, Christy was having um, grandiose delusions and, and trying to convince me of her, you know, um, what she thought she was. And that's hard to see your older sister trying to be like, this is who I am. And you just got to understand this, you know, and I'm just like, remembering the truth, you know, like going back to remembering the truth, but also like, this is so confusing. And I guess the question I have for God is about mental illness. Like, you know, it might, I've worked with people who, you know, might be schizophrenic and they have like the quiet voice of encouragement. And then it turns more um, hostile and eventually, you know, violent or whatever. And I, I do question like, that's not from God. I don't question that. That is not from God. So, you know, that is, it's one of my wonderings because it, it can bring so much confusion and just, just the unsettled heart. And I take on like wanting people to be better and feel better. And so that's hard for me to be in that space. Um, but I've learned to try to just remember what is true and, um, yeah. And not, and just provide a loving environment for those who are going through it. So, but it is hard. Like, you know, when Christy was going through her stuff, um, it's, um, it was confusing because of the nature of bipolar with the mania and how they don't need sleep. And then you switch to the opposite and you're like, okay, what's, you know, how do we help right now in this moment today, you know, but then, um, to see her getting better was so helpful. Number one, I would talk a lot with my spouse. If the spouse is there about what they should do, because there's no way you take that on alone. And if, even if I was a single father, I would, I would consult with a priest or I would consult with a, you know, a mental health person. You can't do it alone. It's impossible. If I was a father, I would say, pray. <laughs> a lot encourage the person to kind of take a look at what they're doing and does it seem right or you know what about it I would just kind of help them talk and if they refused there's nothing I can do but once a person gets to the point where they the father or the spouse 
since this is bigger than me, there's a lot of uh, resources, a lot of support groups for families of uh, people who have, are going through that. And sometimes they get a tremendous amount of support and uh, referrals there. And every, every place that I know of has those kind of support groups. And that would be a place to go because those people have been through it and many of them a lot. And so you gain the support of, uh, of the people that have been through it. And then I, there's grief programs that when you go through something like that, you're, you, you start to cry and you grieve. Realize that, I'm just thinking about this now, that when that serious thing happens, it's going to take a long time for that father to get over it. There's always the chance the person, especially in a, a psychiatric situation, might go back. You have to be kind of cognizant that it could happen again. You don't want it to. So there's a lingering. It's not like I'm walking on pins and needles, but I can sense when she's a little irritable and she calls me and we talk on the phone and I can sense and I can say, you know, you, you seem to be really down right now. And um, and I'll say, have you talked with your nutritionist? Or, <laughs> and usually she has. My advice is realize that it's going to be a long, a long haul for everybody. And you just have to pray, find the resources to keep yourself stable. It's funny, but I think if you get too enmeshed in it, you can go crazy. The parent can go crazy because they start to get so involved in it that it gets into their skin. Not that they'll become manic or depressive, but you get you can get depressed. I guess the one beautiful thing is like helping, like for me in my helping profession, to remind people that this is part of their their journey and it doesn't mean it's the end, you know, and to provide that hope and like long game perspective and not feel stuck because, you know, for me and trying to sort out like Christy's illness, it was like, what does this mean for her? Like in the beginning when you're in it and you're like, I know it can't stay the same, but I don't know what it's going to mean, you know, later. And having been through it several times, you can draw on that. And I feel like it's been a nice thing to be able to share, um, not necessarily my sister's struggle with illness, but in general, when people are going through those, maybe their most difficult time in their life. And I get to be in front of them maybe for 90 minutes a day. And, you know, just how that has um, giving, given me life experience to say, you know, and remind people that this, you know, we don't know what it's going to mean, but it's not going to be the same. And I'm excited for what's going to come next. You know, it's hard to hear that. I remember Christy, when we would tell her those hopeful things, I think when she's in her darkest moment, it is hard to even hear that, which is an interesting thing. But I was, I'm reminded too, when it, well, when it comes to mania and also depression, but like God is not one of chaos, but of peace. And you just want to insert that into them when they're going through it, you know, and it feels so confusing in the midst, but to remember he is a God of peace and a God of hope and a God of love. Yeah. You just want to like inject it somehow. <laughs> like I know we have the Holy spirit and believers obviously go through hard times all the time, but like have that be the thing that you can remind somebody I think is really important. And also acknowledging the hard time, you know, like it is not just like, we're just trying to whisk it away. It's like, how can God refine us in the moment? Cause good things we've all seen it where, you know, the saying beauty comes from ashes. And I just like, I love that.
this might not be everybody's, uh, the word they need to hear, but sometimes it's boundaries in this sense. That sounds weird, but like, I feel so much in my soul. Like I want this to be better and we only have so much power in it. I do feel like if there's a situation where you can be an advocate for somebody when they can't be, there's a certain unique role we can play, whether it's bringing in the music, finding the favorite chocolate, but little things, or finding a resource that is desperately needed and they they don't have the energy or resourcefulness at the time to, you know, advocate for themselves. So I think feeling like you can do those things, but not feeling like you have to be the one that makes it all, whether it's addiction or, you know, those things that just feel so hard and weighty for the person that you're loving and trying to love so well. And what does that mean for you in your life? Like to drop everything and try to fix it might be one approach, but like figuring out the boundaries depending on the situation. In talking to Christy and her family, they would agree that even in what feels like complete destruction, there is fruit that grows in abundance. And as an aspirational gardener, I can attest to the great benefit of breakdown and rot. Because everywhere you look in a garden, whether it's from a compost pile to the seeds that are put in the ground, life is coming out of death. So I want to speak to you who's suffering today. I want to say, first of all, that you are not alone. There is hope and there is help. Last year, I went to a friend and I asked her to pray for healing over me for two things. The first one was a food intolerance that I was dealing with. And the second was for my depression. At the time, my depression was particularly crippling. And after she prayed, I felt God impress something very clear on my mind. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't hear him speak very often, nor do I really get a lot of answers to my prayers, either quickly or ever. But this time, this time it was really clear. He said he would lift the food intolerance fully off of me, which he did. And thank the Lord, I have eaten gluten freely ever since. But the second part of it was that the depression I was feeling would remain for a season for the sake of compassion. Even though he wasn't going to lift it, he was going to sustain me through it. And he's also done that. Humans ask why God allows suffering. And I believe that for some things, and let me make this clear, I would never, ever put this as a blanket statement over all suffering but that in some instances, in his kindness and mercy, he knows that there are some essential spiritual gifts that only come through heavy refinement. My season, my season under mental illness might last my whole life, but I'm confident of the good that it is producing in this life, in this world. And I'll continue to be lifted up by stories like Christy and Rob's. And so if this is you today, if you are suffering under the heaviness of a mental illness, you are seen, you are loved, and there is hope. Like if you could have said anything you wanted to her, and you may have, during that time when she really wasn't herself, she really wasn't coherent, she, you know, Mm -hmm. where you knew this is the illness this is not my wife. If you could have said anything to her and have her understand it, what would be the thing that you would go back and say to her? Oh, wow. Um, 
love her. God loves her. And that we're, we were in a season. I knew she was great for years. And, uh, and I knew that we'd get back to there. Um, and we had a, a huge foundation. Um, I just want to encourage her that God was in control. And this was a season. And they would use it. That really carried me. So I, I would hope that it would carry her. Because I knew I know it was hard on her. But she bared the whole thing. You know, I, I was just there. And yeah, it was hard on me. But nothing compared to like what she had to go through. So yeah, I'd want her to know that, um, that I loved her. God loves her. And it was going, it was a season. And it was going to be for God's glory. There is hope. And you are not alone by any means. And what you're feeling isn't, don't feel wrong about it. If you're feeling that way right now, that's just, that's what it is. But there is hope. There is a place of healing. There are people that can help you. And there are people that want to hear your story, even if You've told this story a hundred times. Talk to a counselor, I would say. Um, if you aren't part of a local church, that's something that you can do too. I know that there is a lot of fear because I still deal, deal with fear, fear of so many things. And right now, as we've gone through COVID, there's just a lot of extra fear. But there is, Jesus Christ is our hope. And he is our Jehovah Rapha, our healer. You might not feel better right away. Keep doing the things. But if obviously, if you are having thoughts of hurting yourself or killing yourself, you need to talk to somebody about that right away. Right away. Because you have a story that needs to be told and what you're going through has a purpose and there's intent. God is with you all the time, even if you can't feel him. Jesus Christ met me there. He was there in that darkness. I know that he was. I know that he was because he lives in me. And so that I just have to trust. And that's truly what has to happen. And I don't live there. I don't I don't think about that time, but it was profound. When I asked Rob what he wishes he could say to Christy and have her really, really hear it, like if he could go back in time and talk to her in the middle of her depression and she could hear and understand what he was saying, he said he would tell her that he loves her and that God loves her and that this is just a season. And that's what I want to say to you. If you or someone you know needs help, you can reach out to National Alliance on Mental Illness at 1-800-950-NAMI or info at nami.org. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't listened to part one, of this episode, check out Breakthrough Part 1. 
Or if you just need more stories like these, you can go to redeemedvoices.com.